Hi, welcome to Bet the Edge. I'm Jay Croucher here with Drew Dinsick. We're recording late Thursday. We're going to run through the NFL games quickly one last time with any updated thoughts. We'll talk about our best bets for the divisional rounds. Uh, we'll talk a wild Australian Open uh, and the movements on the men's and women's side. And then we'll close out with a little NBA chat talking about the Lakers and Warriors, uh, our two grand underachievers in the West. But let's start off with the NFL. Texans-Ravens line has come down a little bit. Ravens minus nine. Uh, it's come down with the total, which is down to 43 and a half. Looks like there is going to be a lot of wind in Baltimore on Saturday. Uh, have you changed any opinions about this one, Drew? <clears throat> so my tone on uh, both the dogs on Saturday is softening, more so on Green Bay, which we'll get to in a minute, than Houston. I still think there is definitely scope for Houston to make the uh, Ravens pay along the sidelines down the field, which is where Stroud thrives. Nico Collins is a huge mismatch for that secondary you know, if, if he's if you're utilizing him on the uh, on the perimeter, um, but the wind is a spooky factor. Uh, certainly, the one weather game we have for CJ Stroud in New York was not good, uh, but uh, there were obviously complicating factors there uh, that uh, you know aren't necessarily at play here. Um, I would say that uh, you know the Ravens' defense keeping the Texans in a box. You know, the, the market thinks the Ravens' defense is elite and that they're just going to keep the Texans in the box in a box. Maybe uh, I, th- I think there's a chance the Texans uh, can can go score an answer here with the Ravens and to the tune of at least uh, staying inside of uh, double digit spread. So um, I haven't bought off my position. I'm still holding Texans plus nine and a half. I actually have some Texans money line as well uh, in case things get real weird. But uh, I am uh, I'm definitely my confidence is is definitely a, a notch down from when we talked about this game last. Yeah, Marlon Humphrey being out uh, <laughs> certainly helps um, on the Texans' side. I think the difficulty is that Stroud in the second half of the season, uh, he just hasn't played that many good defenses. And I understand right. he beat Cleveland last week, but that Cleveland team was a, defensively, in terms of its personnel, was significantly diminished uh, from the unit it was uh, in the first half of the season when it looked like one of the great defenses uh, of the past couple of decades. And so the one time that Stroud did play a really good defense uh, at New York, which, as you mentioned, was kind of a disaster. He was 10 of 23 for 91 yards, sacked four times, uh, and they didn't score a touchdown. So that is a concern. Uh, and at the same time, like we, as we spoke about, this Baltimore team that everyone has anointed as the best team in football, like two real games ago, they closed almost touchdown underdogs to another team in the NFL. Like I just can't buy that they are this absolute juggernaut. Um, and that's why I would still be on the Texans. Uh, I just don't think that Stroud should be getting nine points against any team uh, in the NFL outside of perhaps San Francisco. So that would still be my lean as well. Let's go to Chiefs-Bills line here. Bills minus two and a half. Total is 45 and a half. This is the Sunday evening game on CBS at 6.30. The Bills injury report has been okay, I guess. Looks like Terrell Dotson should be able to go. Looks like Rasul Douglas will play. Uh, It looks like uh, Christian Benford is going to be out. Bernard will be out. Gabe Davis not looking good there. Teron Johnson is in concussion protocol at the moment, but from looking at him in practice, I would guess they're probably going to push him 
through that and he will play. So it's not quite as dire as it looks like it might be for the Bills' defense. But uh, what's your read on this one at the two and a half? Yeah, fortifying my uh, confidence in the Chiefs here. Um, the injury report, as you mentioned, is trending more positively than it could have for the Bills. Um, but honestly, that's just keeping this market from the floor from just the you know the trap door from opening on the build in the market right now, I think, um, because there is definitely plenty of Chiefs, positive Chiefs sentiment out there right now. Uh, the most uh, kind of in-form unit out of the four is the Chiefs defense, in my opinion, healthiest, uh, playing the best football, uh, most consistent football. And uh, I think that sets up pretty well for one sneaky injury that was on the injury report for the Bills that you didn't mention. I think we're starting to get a little bit of an answer as to what happened to Stefan Diggs over the second half of the season. Uh, they have him on there as vet rest foot. Uh, not so fast, my friend. You rewatched that uh, that Pittsburgh game. There were two very obvious plays where it's kind of, uh, you know, the uh, Diggs got tackled pretty, uh, pretty aggressively, uh, got crunched. Uh, he's pretty clearly either de- dealing with some sort of abdominal or rib injury, uh, which is why his snap count is down. He's out there less for running snaps um, and uh, just in general, less of a contributor. Gabe Davis, not likely to go as far as I could tell you. So all of a sudden, this is now looking like you're going to have to get it done with your tight ends uh, and uh, Shakir, which makes your passing offense look pretty lean against a very, very good coverage unit that the Chiefs are running out there. So um, starting to feel like the uh, the team total on the Bills is too high and just in general, this is going to come down to Josh Allen being Superman, getting it done on the ground. Uh, if this team is going to ultimately, uh, you know, get past the Chiefs, where whereas the the Chiefs have multiple paths, I think, to be successful on offense against the Bills team with this many injuries. So, um, starting to feel pretty uh, pretty clearly like the uh, the bet of Sunday in the AFC is is uh, is definitely the Chiefs. Yep, I like the Chiefs as well. Uh, my biggest position in the futures market by far is the bills so oh boy. very good <laughs> Never had, they can't recall having less uh, confidence in a team that is favored uh that i'm sitting on a futures <laughs> ticket for than this bills team going up against Mahomes. uh i think the thing with Diggs is that suspect that like even though he doesn't look great like he's still putting up these games and getting like seven receptions for 80 yards so he's sure. not you know a complete mess it's just that he's not the guy who was talked about as an offensive player of the year candidate in the first month and a bit of the season. So you suspect that he will still be okay enough to at least draw Sneed. Uh, and I've always enjoyed Khalil Shakir's work. Uh, so I'll be counting on him and, and Kincaid and company uh, and Josh Allen's cape. So, yeah, I agree that the Chiefs are the side there. Packers 49ers, Niners uh, to tick down a touch to Niners minus nine and a half. Total is 50 and a half. This is the Saturday night game on Fox. Uh, what's your bullishness like on the Packers? Yeah, uh, very, very soft. <laughs> Good. Made them dead. I think it's coming. <laughs> uh, I, uh, I, I'm still holding Packers plus nine and a half. I got off of my money line position in this one. Um, the uh, the injury reports for the Packers is not trending great. It looks like Jay Alexander is going to be a little bit of a long shot to go here, uh, and that definitely matters. Uh, the Packers defense, in his absence, even with him on the field, is still coordinated by Joe Barry. Um, I can kind of only imagine how little sleep 
uh, Kyle Shanahan has gotten this week. Not because he's worried about going up against Joe Barry, but he can't stop thinking of ways he's going to make his life miserable on Saturday. This has the potential for the offense for the Niners to get a little bit out of hand. Um, and I think, uh, you know, counting on the, uh, the uh, you know, the, the um, Packers to cover is really just going to be score some early guys. Maybe generate a lead and uh, and then and you know because and or get in the back door. Um, those are all realistic because ten is just it's a huge number. F- you know when you have a, a, an offense that's performing as well as Green Bay is and Jordan Love performing you know yeah, with confidence and uh, a pass you know a pass protection unit that I think neutralizes the only real strength of the Niners defense, which is the pass rush. So, um, you know, there's still enough scope here for, I think the Packers to make their team total to get inside this number. Um, but, uh, you know, kind of where I was, you know, kind of feeling real, Ooh, there's people, you know, people are missing. This is these, this, these guys are live. This could be an upset. I, I've softened on that pretty, uh, uh, pretty sincerely since uh, I've kind of digested the matchup advantages for the Niners Steve offense. Yeah, I, I bought fully into the Packers and then uh, I needed them to beat Tommy Cutlets on Monday Night Football and they got completely eviscerated um, by Senor Cutlets. Uh, ah, it was a windy game. Week, well, yeah, then the following week they gave up a perfect passer rating to Baker Mayfield. And then the week uh, after that yeah. they gave up 30 points to Bryce Young in really the only time that he looked like an NFL quarterback uh, all season. So I just I think the only way that the Packers' defense gets to uh, resembling respectability is if the imposing quarterback just self-immolates like Dak Prescott did last week, like Brock Purdy could do uh, this week, but I don't think he's going to. Uh, there may be some, some implosion from Purdy at some point, but I don't think it's going to be uh, prior to the Super Bowl. If yeah. he has to go up against the Ravens' defense again uh, or potentially the Chiefs' defense maybe, uh, I think that that could potentially trigger the implosion if it's in there, but I can't see it really happening against Green Bay. Uh, I think this is going to be a destruction and the, the Niners – I think it's going to resemble a lot of what San Francisco's offense did in that Philadelphia game where it's like, oh, how, like how, how will they not score a touchdown um, every <laughs> single time? So, I, uh, yeah, I'm fairly bullish on the Niners here. All right, let's go to Bucks lions our game on NBC, Sunday, 3 p.m. Eastern. The Bucks are six-and-a-half-point underdogs. The total is 48-and-a-half. Uh, I think you're still bullish on the Lions. Yep, let's go, Linus. Um, the again, like we've said it a dozen times this week on our shows in particular, um, hand in glove Lions offense against a, a Todd Bowles schemed defense. Um, that I think is really where this starts and ends. Um, I I'm not worried about the Lions coming back and still covering. I'm not worried about them having to you know. I, I don't think that this cover is incumbent on them playing with a lead. But boy oh boy, we haven't been really mentioned this. But if they are playing with a lead, um, and uh, you know if if they're handling the blitz well, if their skill position players are really putting a hurt and on the uh, single coverage uh, secondary that they're getting, particularly Armandra St. Brown in the slot, Sam Laporta. Uh, you know, running over the middle of the field like this, this could get ugly quickly, I think. And at that point, <clears throat> Lions putting away with a lead, I can count on 
Dan Campbell staying aggressive. I can count on the running attack still succeeding even against a good run defense. They've proven that they can do that with the, when they're at full strength on the offensive line. And I think you can count on the Lions defense showing you something because uh, the one sort of true strength they have is in their front seven with their pass rush. Uh, and if it's must pass every down, Baker Mayfield and, uh, you know, what what a, a pass protection unit that is fading a bit uh, down the stretch here. I think you could see the uh, Lions defense really have come up with some chaotic plays to put this one on ice. Um, this is the one game of the week that I think is probably the mis- most mispriced in terms of the real outlier outcome of like this could be like a, you know, 38 to three type of type of, uh, um, you know, one way action. And maybe I'm a little overexcited here about uh, Alliance team that uh, it did play their Super Bowl last week but I gotta tell you this is um, about as good a matchup as they could have drawn for this round of the playoffs and uh, I think they go through with uh, a little bit of an exclamation point okay yeah no I don't I don't mind the sentiment again the only uh, nervousness would be that the Bucks do have a good run defense and the game will likely be on Jared Goff's shoulder which can kind of metaphorically pop out of place uh, occasionally, but I think he showed a fair bit against the Rams last week. Um, Both of our best bets are in this game. We'll get to that in a sec. One other one that is not my best bet that I will throw out is that when these two teams played in week six, Sam Laporta was targeted 11 times, uh, which is a massive amount. The Bucs have struggled against tight ends, I think back a couple of weeks ago to Jawan Johnson looking like 2009 Antonio Gates. <laughs> it's just Devin White just isn't very good. Um, and he, the the Bucks they've been kind of eviscerated by tight ends. Uh, so I think that Laporta, I was stunned at how good he looked against the Rams. And he was only three for 14, uh, but he looked fully healthy and he played a massive percentage of snaps uh, and just looked physically like he was all the way back. So I guess it was just just the injury looked a lot worse than it was and because I would view him as just being pretty close to 100%. Uh, before we get to the Australian Open, let's talk about these best bets. Uh, I'll start with mine, which is Jameson Williams, his over. Uh, the number has been floating around between 32.5 to 34.5. I don't understand how this guy is being priced in the market and I think this is a dream matchup for his kind of player archetype where the Bucs, what do they do on defense? Well, they're a very stout run defense. They don't have a very good secondary and they blitz a ton. And when they blitz a ton against a really good offensive line in Detroit and they leave, to your point, these corners isolated one-on-one, I think it's going to give the opportunity for big plays down the field. And who's the deep guy on the Lions? It's Jameson Williams. And Jameson Williams, there was some injury concern about him. He played 70% of the snaps against the Rams. His snap count has been ramping up all season. So I think this is 10 yards too low, to be honest. And he's being used Morris. Uh, Amon Ra is clearly their number one guy. I think Jameson Williams will be their number two guy in this game, uh, at least on the outside. So I'm taking the over on JMO. Uh, what is your best bet? Yeah, well, I, I love that one because that could probably cash in the first quarter. Um, that could cash off of one play. Uh, we saw Devontae Smith uh, do it to this defense, and you want a good analog for Devontae Smith? It's Jameson Williams. Uh, so, yeah, I think this could uh, that could be a very fun one. Uh, I'm just going to lay it here with the Lions. Again, I think there is scope for this to be um, <clears throat> a non-compete. <laughs> and uh, I don't know. Maybe I'm not not uh, maybe I'm missing something about the way the Buccaneers run offense, and maybe they are uh, capable of 
of going score for score for a little while here with the Lions. But uh, I just think the uh, there are cracks in that Buff- Buccaneers offensive line in terms of pass protection uh, that you saw at home in a very favorable uh, game state against the Eagles. If it's that, you know, if, if, if those same cracks appear on second and third down against um, uh, this Lions team and Baker Mayfield's taken 20 yard sacks for a loss, uh, you know, 20 yards for a loss sacks, then all of a sudden this uh, this game could get out of hand pretty quickly. Uh, add to that the Lions aggressiveness on fourth down, their ability to kind of look at, you know, oh, you're going to you're going to bring out a nick you're going to take Vita Vey off the field and give us nickel on third and five because you think we're going to pass okay well we'll just hand it to Jameer Gibbs and he's going to rip off 11 yards here so like there's definitely no hesitation for them to uh you know take advantage of matchups and that's a lot of what uh you know Todd Bowles gives you to work with because he really just has a you know a one pitch fastball so um Lions laying the points for me favorite favorite play of the week and uh uh you know Hopeful that uh, maybe the market upgrades him a little too much off of uh, what, what I'm 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 uh, knocking on wood is uh, you know a one one way action. What do you think the line will be if it is as expected? San Francisco home uh, to the Lions of so seven. Yeah. Well, my, in my best case scenario, uh, Niners sneak through without injury and win a close one, and uh, the Lions uh, you know thump the Bucks, and the market gives a six and a half on san francisco more realistically seven if it's seven and a half then i have uh some soul searching to do next week indeed all right well (laughs) before we get to the australian open a reminder for those of you looking to catch all the storylines leading into lines at bucks including a battle of number one overall pick quarterbacks discarded by their original teams coverage of the nfc divisional round matchup begins at 2 p.m eastern this sunday on nbc and peacock all right Australian Open. I woke up, Drew, to some atrocities. Uh, <laughs> I was not watching these matches. Uh, I went to bed and, well, I saw that Sviantec had pulled it out, uh, which I wasn't happy about. And then I wake up to see that uh, my my biggest bet in this tournament uh, by margin, Elena Rabakina, who I believe closed minus 3,000 uh, to win her <laughs> round two matchup against someone, frankly, I don't know much anything about uh, sure. Blinkova. Uh, and Rubakina had six match points. Now, to be fair, Blinkova had like 11. Uh, <laughs> and they're just a ridiculous, just look really strange in like the flash score app to see what was going on uh, in this one. But Rubakina goes down, second favorite for the tournament is out. Iga survives. Uh, what do you make now of the women's side? Yeah, um, all around yesterday was the most entertaining day of slam tennis that we've had in years, or at least as long as I've been paying very close attention. Uh, we had six matches on the men's side go to a fifth set. Three of those decided by a tiebreak. Uh, and I think we had something like eight or nine matches on the women's side go to a decider, including the one you mentioned, Rebecca Blinkova, which was the longest ever tiebreak, decided 22-20 in favor of Blinkova. Uh, the um, Rubakina, uh flame out. We're gonna, I need to dissect that one more carefully because I also slept through the majority of that one. But it looks from the statistical profile like her serve just deserted her in this contest. And I'm, that was a little surprising considering how informed she was coming in. Um, but that opens up the door in Q2 to Jason Wen. The queen will arrive uh, and potentially make a first ever slab semifinal, I hope. Um, and Iga's, uh, you know, the Iga um, performance has, has, a, has a really, really important ramifications because 
you have a finite amount of kind of what you can give physically in a given fortnight, right? Like if you are playing a, a, a match where you have to just leave it all on the court like she did to get by Danielle Collins this early, like that can take a physical toll. The fatigue can affect you down the line. Like no question about it. Her, uh, you know, her, her, uh, you know, physical bar is depleted right now. Now she gets a day between matches every step of the way here in. So if she has a couple of shorter contests in the next couple of rounds, maybe this is just a moot point. Um, but almost certainly uh, she's, you know, doesn't look completely physically 100%. And uh, the, um, uh, the, uh, uh, the toll could be impactful. She still has to go through a very tough next couple of rounds. No Skova, Svitolina likely, and then Ostapenko waiting in the quarterfinals, who's her boogeyman. So it is a still a long way to go for Iga to win a championship here. I will say, however, the ousting of Rabakan is enormous for her. That's huge. That gives puts a bunch of win probability uh, right into her bucket. Um, and <clears throat> I will also say that there is a lot of evidence that players who face death <laughs> the way that Iga was facing death. I mean, literally, like our group of friends was we were pricing. Well, man, like Daniel Collins, like what, you know, is her path soft enough? She can make a I mean, she make a semifinal again. Like, like it, it, it was seemed absolutely over. Uh, and uh, and she clawed her way back into that one from near death. And yeah, again, plenty of examples of players who have taken that experience and fortifies you mentally to where her now belief and her you know her sharpness, her you know her game is going to be a plus uh, plus mentally, if not physically. So um, it was a win for her in a lot of ways, but you know the physical toll is going to be uh, to be determined uh, these next couple rounds. So uh, ne this next round is probably maybe her most important match of the tournament she needs to dispatch of linda noskova relatively easily uh and then she needs to back that up with a clean kill of svitolina uh and at that point i'm going to believe that she's going to be pretty tough to beat um the bottom half of the draw which we were kind of commenting on pre-tournament was pretty soft actually shaping up to be pretty tough because miran driva has arrived uh, and she put on the most impressive performance so far of this fortnight, uh, dispatching Ans Jabor 6-love, six 6-2. Um, her game is absolutely superlative. It is made for this court speed. It is made for slam tennis. Uh, and uh, she now has a couple of rounds where she's going to be a relatively heavy favorite before running into Sabalenka. So um, <clears throat> the door is open for Andriva to to really make some noise in this tournament and uh, i'm excited to see it uh sabalenka is playing fine coco goff's not playing great but this is kind of exactly what she did before winning a title in the u.s open so i'm not really worried about that uh i think uh um you know there's still the the women's side is just it's so high quality across the board that uh they, they're still just it's too way too early to call uh men's side same sort of story man it's it's chalk like there, there, re nothing realistically has happened that uh, should, you know, should uh, change your pre-tournament expectations to this point. Um, the players like Zverev and Medvedev, who were kind of on the fringes of contention, survived some scares. Uh, Alcaraz looks informed. Yannick Sinner looks absolutely clinical. Uh, Djokovic looks vulnerable. So uh, no real change in my thoughts on the men's side. And, uh, you know, between now and when we get to um, the uh, quarterfinals, uh, it looks pretty similarly chalky as far as I could tell you.
yeah, men's side, well, I mean, men's side is often just more predictable given the best of five nature. Uh, if Rebecca was playing best of five sets uh, yesterday, this <laughs> she morning, wins three two. Probably, yeah. She probably gets through. Uh, I think that Andriva Sabalenka matchup <laughs> should it um, appear that will probably be the best match before the semis, uh, I would imagine. Let's close out with uh, some NBA, Lakers and Warriors to neighbours in the Pacific Division, uh, Western Conference rivals coming off their uh, second round matchup last year. Uh, both of these teams scuffling. To me, the Warriors situation seems a lot more dire uh, than the Lakers situation in that the Lakers still have their two best players playing at an extremely high level uh, in LeBron and AD. They're not the problem. I think everything else has just been... I don't think Adolphin Ham's a very good coach. Uh, and <laughs> I think that just having Reeves and D'Angelo Russell both out of the starting lineup for like a material yeah. stretch is just complete insanity. Uh, and starting like Vanderbilt and Reddish and it just... I don't understand what he's trying to do there. It seems like they've righted the ship a little bit impressive win over Dallas. Uh, their starting lineup now makes sense, putting both D'Lo uh, and Reeves back in it. Uh, and I think I think this team's ceiling is still a little bit capped, just because I don't think the offense is ever really going to get there. Uh, I don't really understand why. It, I guess it has to be a system thing because they have a lot of offensive talent. It just always looks so clunky, uh, and trying to get blood out of stone for this team to score unless they're getting out in transition. Um, do you think the Lakers have any ceiling to get back to a Western Conference Finals? Yes. Okay. I don't say that emphatically as it sounded, <laughs> but they have ceiling because, the like, yeah, they're, they're, they're the Lakers and uh, they have LeBron James. And actually, like, you know, one of the unkind of spoken things about the Lakers' early season run to the in season tournament championship um, was that LeBron James was perfectly healthy. Like the groin injury that really hampered about two year, you know, stretch of his career doesn't seem to be impacting him whatsoever anymore. Um, and uh, even at you know this stage in this age, he is capable of finding a level that is very very tough to match. Uh, and you know, in a best of seven, um, you know, they have they have the experience and the uh, you know the the ceiling uh, to really make some teams miserable. Um, and the the other reason I say finals is is not out of the realm of possibility for the Lakers is probably going to be a plan. <laughs> They're probably going to be a seven or eight seed. And right now it looks likely that your one or two seeds are going to be the Thunder and the Timberwolves. And if you have high confidence that the Thunder and the Timberwolves, uh, you know, with the lack of experience of, uh, you know, high, you know, how, how do you navigate a playoff series against LeBron James? Like that, that that's going to be tough. Uh, and so I think uh, the Lakers finding another, you know, upset as a seven or an eight seed in the first round of the playoffs is in the scope of possibilities. Uh, and, uh, you know, really the way that the uh, seeding is going to shake out, they could be on the opposite side of the bracket as the Nuggets and the Clippers, which would be huge for the Lakers because I think realistically they're going to need some luck to avoid those two teams in particular uh, if they want a hope in uh, getting to the Western Conference Finals. I don't really, not really concerned about them if they run into the Suns. Not, I'm, and, uh, you know, again, like I'm not, trying to disparage what the Thunder have done in the regular season. It's quite cool. Uh, but, uh, you know, a team making their first ever playoff run together 
uh, doesn't matter how good your coach is, doesn't matter how deep you are, uh, it's still a different uh, ball game than regular season basketball. So uh, you know, I'll believe it when I see it that they're going to be uh, the team to beat come playoff time. Similarly with the Timberwolves. Um, so you know, expecting the Lakers are going to make some moves here. Uh, that's a team. That's a roster that could really use a little bit of uh, fresh blood. Uh, and there's uh, more sellers at this trade deadline than I think we thought there might have been at the start of the season. So the Lakers could uh, scoop an asset, and uh, we could see a little bit different roster come playoff time. But uh, you know, I think uh, the the swoon post in season tournament is probably coming to an end. The starting lineup that they're running out there now looks legit. Uh, and I think the Lakers are probably going to put together winning basketball here over the middle portion of the season. Yeah, I think they have the scope to be. It wouldn't shock me if come playoff time, if they are a better team than the Thunder and the Wolves. I think they have two issues. One, they're they're like what they are six games back of the they're six games back of the four seed. So yeah. it seems unrealistic to expect that they're going to crack the top four. And if they're not cracking the top four, then they're very likely going to have to play three playoff series on the road if they even get to the playoffs which they would likely gonna have to navigate the play-in at this point and then i think their other issue is that it was looking like there might only be one other juggernaut in the west in denver mm. i think there are two i think clippers <laughs> are the real yeah. deal where they um just some of their combinations and this is the stuff that i always like to look at and i think was kind of you could see it coming with the Nuggets last year just because when their best players were all on the floor together, they were putting up the r- ridiculous, like, plus 15 net ratings. Uh, when Harden, George, and Leonard are all on the court together, and it's just 630 minutes now, the Clippers are a plus 10. And that involves a lot of that early 0-6 start where they just couldn't – they they just they hadn't played together yet, and they were completely out of rhythm. So you take that out, and it looks a lot better. George and Leonard on, Harden off, uh, plus 26 net rating. <laughs> Harden and George on, Leonard off, plus 13 net rating. Like they are oh just destroying everyone. And I think the Nuggets are probably better come playoff time than the Clippers, but I'm not 100% sure. And now the Suns are starting to get it together as well. And if they ever play the Lakers, it's likely that I think Phoenix would have home court in that series. So it's just going to be tough sledding. And they would also, the Lakers, they would be dogs by market if they have to go uh, at Minnesota or at OKC, you would expect just given they don't have home court. So uh, I think that this team is probably going to end up with like 44, 45 wins and they're going to be dangerous and they might be able to win a round or two. But the idea that they're going to get back to the finals when uh, I think the Nuggets and Clippers are both clearly better than them and I think the Suns are probably better than them as well. Um, not to mention the two teams that are likely to be the top two seeds in the conference or at least right there. Um, it's a lot of uphill um, skiing for the Lakers. But they're in a much better position than the Warriors, who are 18 and 22. Uh, obviously, a tragedy experienced by the organization. So their game against Dallas uh, on Friday has been postponed after their game against Utah was postponed uh, on the court. They are now 12th in the West. Their over-under is at, set at 40 and a half. Uh, I mean, at one point after they got off to a decent start, I think that was 50 and a half. Um, they have been just a mess. And to me, everyone's focusing on, you know, Wiggins and the Kaminga drama and Chris Paul fitting, not fitting, now being injured. To me, the biggest problem with this team is that, you know, talking about those, like, lineup combinations, in, like, the championship years and even a couple of years ago, um, 
the Curry Thompson Draymond trio when they're on the court, like that was frequently around like a plus 10, plus 15, up to plus 18, I think. This year, and it's not a massive amount of minutes, it's 291 minutes. They're a negative four net rating when those three guys are on the court and there's no three-point shooting luck. They're actually shooting better than opponents from three when that combination is on the floor. And I think their issue is just that Curry is Curry's still excellent. Curry's still a you know first, second team, all-NBA guy, but he's not the all-world MVP. He was. And then Thompson and Green just aren't the same players anymore. And then if they're not the same players, then the team just isn't very good. I could not agree with you more. Uh, the two best three-man combinations for the Warriors right now are Paul, uh, po- Pods, and Saric, Kuminga, <laughs> Paul, and Thompson. <laughs> There's no answers here. Like this is uh, this is rough, man, and it's tough to kind of be this down on them in this moment where they're dealing with tragedy. But like, I do not envy the Mike Dunleavy Jr. tenure here of figuring out what to do to salvage the end of the Curry experience because Curry pretty clearly still has all NBA level. Maybe it's not first team anymore. Maybe it's not even second team, but he's still in the conversation of the top six guards playing. And if you have a guy of that caliber and you have other players around him that have shown you a history of elevating the team performance, then you shouldn't be in this situation, but they very much are. Um, I I really just don't, I don't see any answers. I'm banging my head against the wall in December. I was like, man, maybe if they just did this and this, they've tried it, it hasn't worked. Um, and, uh, you know, the there are enough um, you know, kind of problems on this roster and, uh, you know, kind of asking too much of guys who just cannot deliver at, at, you know, at a given level uh, to expect that this is going to pivot on the fly. Um, sad to see it, but, uh, you know, I think at some point you have to move Wiggins. That's probably addition by subtraction. So, you know, if, if you get someone back who can contribute, that's good. Um, but his, uh, you know, his... his um, deterioration in quality of play has been very, very tough to wrap your head around. Uh, and yeah, I mean, they, uh, I don't really know what they do to position themselves for being competitive in the future because all of a sudden you do have still some teams that you mentioned in the West who are problems to deal with in a playoff series. And Oh, by the way, here come the new young teams. Uh, and so the idea that, uh, that there's a quick turnaround and one more competitive run for these guys, I think is uh, is probably unlikely. And uh, you know, the championship that they got two years ago, it was lucky, and uh, it may have been ultimately like you know, the, a perfect way to kind of put a, a bow on uh, you know that era of Warriors championship contention. Yeah, it just doesn't seem like there's any way out because. <laughs> And Wiggins and Draymond have such massive contracts that are underwater and I don't, they're not going to be able to move them for upgrades. So, like, what do you do? You can't just you can't just snap your hands and get better players. Like, you have to move these salaries. I don't think anyone's going to want them. And, like, the, the Warriors came in. The idea was that they could, you know, they could win the title this year. Um, I'm not sure that they're better than like Utah right now in their current construction, the way that like Sexton seems to be playing at the moment. Like a Clay and Draymond better than Sexton and Walker Kessler right now, like let alone, uh, I mean, it's it's not very good for the Warriors. Um, they are going to face an uphill battle to make the playoffs. I just don't know what you do though, because Curry's still really, really good. Uh, and, Clay and Draymond are still going to be out there. So I guess they just kind of scratch and claw to 
get into the play-in and then mm -hmm. you hope that Curry, Magic, and Wiggins further removed um, from, you know, his time away last season that he can flick the switch and just get better again. And then hopefully, you know, you're in the playoffs and then you probably get destroyed in round one. Like that seems like the upside for this team right now. Yeah, that's not good. <laughs> the Wiggins, did, I mean, honestly, like, you don't understand it. I mean, he's, he's, he's 28. Like, he's been around a lot. He's played a lot of minutes. But um, going from, you know, a, a, a positive player, um, you know, a slight, you know, slight, slightly below last positive last year to now a minus six uh, box plus minus is crazy. Like, that is that is a level of drop off that you just don't really see very often. So maybe it is small sample and he can bounce back a little bit and play a little bit better. But, um, you know, pretty clearly this, uh, the idea that they're going to contend against a field that all of a sudden is like light years tougher than it was two years ago. I just am not seeing it. I mean, Wiggins is 28 and we're only two years removed from him being the second best player in an NBA finals. Um, it's completely insane that this happened and it's not just his shot abandoning him just defensively. I mean, he just annihilated Jason Tatum in that finals. And I don't think Jason Tatum was right physically in that finals, but all the same, like Wiggins absolutely put the clamps on. And now all of a sudden you just, you just don't feel him when he plays and you forget that he's out there and he just doesn't really. And he's the guy that, you know, he's the guy that he was at the end of his Minnesota tenure where you just don't. He just doesn't really make an impact outside of a negative one at the moment. Um, last one on the Warriors, two years ago when they won the title, when Curry was on the court, they were plus 11. Last year where they scuffled but was still, you know, a clear playoff team, Curry was plus six uh, or the Warriors were plus six when Curry was on the court. This year they're minus three with Curry on the court. And the idea that you can be a minus three with Stephen Curry on the court just shows how dire things are at the moment uh, for the Warriors. All right, we are done. Don't forget to check out NBCSports.com for more information to help you with your wages. Thanks to those watching on the NBC Sports YouTube channel. If you're listening to us in podcast form, don't forget to rate and subscribe. And also a reminder to find all your favorite NBC Sports shows on Amazon Music. Just head to Amazon.com slash NBC Sports from Jay Croucher and Drew Dinsick. Good luck this weekend and we'll see you next week.